Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know, dance with me, purple cow. I like your move. This is a show about people who are ahead of their time. People who future generations will likely view as sparks of the greatest intellectual and spiritual revolution in the history of humanity. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones, iPads, and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any form of collectivism just doesn't quite cut it for you, you engage in critical thinking. If you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, let's come, let's go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Joining us today on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth is Chris Krepsik. He's from the HoodedSage.com. Chris is an etheric energy healer. He's a metaphysical teacher. He's got a lifetime training in the mystical arts and ancient wisdom. He had worked with one of the greatest metaphysicians the world had ever seen, Mr. Stuart Wilde. And Chris teaches thousands and thought millions of people a lot of the ways of ancient teachings and metaphysics. And Chris, we are so honored to have you today with us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Okay. Chris, can you please explain to us what is a hooded sage and how? what is some of the basis of some of your uh, founding teachings? Well, the hooded sage is um, an ancient wisdom. It's the initiates that went down through history, um, primarily those of the Taoist sages in old China in about 500 B.C., um, there were initiates in um, the Etruscans, um, in Italy, um, and basically, say, like the, the Druids and such from thousands of years ago in, in Ireland and England. But it's not just um, those groups. It's um, basically your higher self. If you visualize in your meditations your higher self as being like a hooded sage. You can bring that energy around you like a blanket, and it's a way of merging with your higher self. Okay. Now, your higher self, is this your energy field or energy spirit that exists outside the uh, physical plane? Is it is your higher self on the physical plane, or is it outside the physical plane? And is your higher self um, your true spirit that is providing conscious and life force to all of your other life incarnations that could be happening happening simultaneously. 
it's not really outside of the physical plane. It's intertwined. Um, the illusion of separation is just an illusion of the mind between the physical and the non-physical. You can train yourself to see energy, and you can train yourself to see the higher self and the human energy field, eyes wide open, in 3D. The etheric's a 3D thing. Okay. But it transcends solidity to where it is also the non-solid nature of reality as well. So it's, it's like a, um, a barrier um, simply because the mind locks on to solid particles and creates a construct that the mind can handle, right? Okay. So when a person trains their mind to slow down and develops a little bit of perception through different techniques, they can learn to see that human energy field. Now, how would some of those? How would some of the first methods to slowing your energy to slowing your brain down to perceiving these energies? Like, what would be some of the first steps a person would take to begin the process? Um, using metronomes um, in theta ranges would be a good way to start because that slows down the brainwave speeds. Okay. The normal the normal waking state is moving around and the the brainwaves are a bit faster and it's dealing with stuff in 3D and all of that. But if you if you sit back and just meditate or use a theta metronome, it will slow the brainwave speeds down, which are the the trance states that you hear of like ancient monks and such reaching. Okay, so hypothetically speaking, um, for the audience out there, you can go on YouTube and you can actually look up various um, beats. They'll have alpha, beta, delta, theta, and they do have these metronomes. They are widely available. Now, we'll, what we'll do is that we'll provide a link specifically to some of the ones that Chris uh, has selected or recommends. But when you're at this state, met theta, when you are, what, just above a delta state, and right. you're in this deep meditation, how do these... Um, visualizations come to you? Do you have to be completely open to them, or may they never come to you? May you maybe you're an individual who's more sensitive to feel, more sensitive to sound. Is it take somebody who's naturally a visual person to experience these uh, visualizations that you describe? Everybody's a natural visionary. It's just whether or not they choose to develop that. It's like any other muscle in your body. You know, if you got a if you got a bicep and you want to want to work on it, you lift weights, you develop it. Everybody has the same visionary ability. It's just whether or not they decide to train. Okay. So hypothetically speaking, a person who would devote themselves to a daily regimen of theta metronome, um, and we say meditation, can we say like, what, a half hour to an hour being in a constant uh, theta state, focusing your energy? And Do you think that over, what, a prolonged period of time it would occur naturally? Definitely, yeah. Okay. No, so there's there's different things to it because I know people that have meditated their entire lives and have never really seen anything. So there's also techniques that you have to do, and those are like we call them rotations. It's the ability to learn to move your energy. Okay. Because if you just meditate forever, you could just be stuck in the mind. Sure. You have so, to, you have to expand your feelings beyond the mind. Okay, so is that getting on the lines of that you are what an infinite spirit, and that your energy is a part of all things, rather than your energy is delegated from within your body? Well, it's definitely a part of all things. You're a spark of the God force. Like everything, everything is energy, but you do have a uniqueness um, to your own energy field as well. But definitely, it's connected to everything else. Okay. Now, Chris. When did you realize when you were growing up that um, you had this perception and that things were different for you? When, you? when you were a young child, did you start to see things differently or start to perceive some of these realities that you're discussing? Was it something that came naturally to you? 
when did you, or was it something that you you kind of were passionate about and you devoted yourself and you poured your heart and your mind and your spirit into these teachings that were there and discovered and went further? How did it kind of come into play for you? Well, I always saw things, and I always saw things a little bit differently, too, but I learned at a very early age to be silent about it because most people are a bit freaked out when you start talking about energy and spiritual things. They don't really know how to relate to it, you know. Why don't so most I learned at an early age to be quiet and be silent, and basically the teachings are um, based on life, really. Okay, so you're growing up and you're seeing. What are you? What are you particularly seeing? You're seeing angels. Are you seeing um, uh, like beings? Are you seeing fractal type energy? Are you seeing like energy before it manifests into physical reality? Like, what are some of the visualizations you're seeing when you're growing up and um, growing as a person? All of that, really. I mean, it, it was seeing energy, and it was also having an inner feeling and a connection, say, primarily to nature and animals. Okay. Uh, because it is a feeling too. You're, you know, it's a, it's not a mind thing. It's a feeling thing. Your true feelings aren't emotions. Your true feelings are vibrational sensations, and you are a vibration of energy and code, say, and so is the rest of the world. Okay, so that's how you develop perception is by fine tuning those sensations. Okay. Now, what would be some of the benefits of somebody actually? Doing that, what are some of the benefits of being able to see these energies? Just for somebody who has no idea about this, what would be some of the immediate benefits for them? Well, it's perception. The more perception that you have, the safer you are. The more you know what to do. Instead of being guided by your analytical mind, which is often wrong, you learn to follow your intuition, which is usually correct. Okay. And do you have any memories of uh, your before you came to earth do you have any pre-birth memories and did you know that you were going to be a metaphysical spiritual teacher i didn't necessarily know that i was going to be a metaphysical teacher i don't recall that but i do remember having a form um which is kind of hard to describe but i do remember before i came here and it was basically a geometrical form of light and it was like um traveling through a void and I do remember knowing who my parents were going to be before I got here. Okay. And a few other things. Wow. That must have been pretty amazing that um, that you knew about this growing up. And How are the uh, angels that you've seen different from the ones that, like, say, for example, we see in modern-day religions, that they, they look at their all, they all have a halo, and they, they kind of all look like human beings. What does an angel look like from the way you perceive it to be? Sometimes it can look like that. The halo is a very real thing. The halo is actually a developed crown chakra. Okay. Um, it, it becomes a, a fractal disc that expands out, and it receives as well as transmits information. Um, so there is some accuracy to the halo um, depictions, um, but definitely the um, the way they form to where you see them as being human forms is mostly to do with the human mind translating the energy of it into a way that it can handle it and understand it and relate to it to where it's not too freaked out. <laughs> it's like mind, the mind forms a construct. You know, it's a translator. The mind's a translator of information. So it translates the energy that it picks up 
um, receiving, say, spiritual feelings, which are vibrations and energy, and it makes it into those forms. And then sometimes the beings show up as those forms because they know that if they showed up in other ways that you might not be able to handle it. So it's kind of like a two-way communication. Okay, so they show up in things that people are able to perceive. But why do you think that so many people, a, a lot of people, if you want to call it on our planet, seem to not be able to perceive these uh, these things that you're able, that you're discussing? Why do a lot of people, I guess, kind of revert to a scientific mindset, whereas anything that would be considered sixth sense type is is perceived to be uh, crazy in in mainstream, if you want to call it that? Why aren't more people able to see what you're able to see and what uh, some other people are able to see? Well, a lot of the world makes their mind their god. They make mind god rather than um, rather than developing a true spiritual position of um, seeing everything as energy. And the mind is one of the things that you have to transcend. The mind's a bit of a prison, say. And they come into a world and they're programmed into that stance. You know, when little kids are perceiving things that nobody can explain, they haven't really formed into that analytical state yet. They're a lot more open and they're not as rigidly programmed. So the human experience, the challenges of it are you enter this system of programming and control, which is so rigid and so deep that it trains you to only look at the solid state reality. But if you can maintain an openness um, and not fall into the programming so much, you can still straddle two worlds of perceiving both the physical and non-physical levels of reality. Okay. And uh, Stuart Wilde used to talk about, um, always talked about the journey from uh, ego to true self. And a lot of people are in this life incarnation at this moment, and they're in this system of programming, as you just described. Do you believe that a majority of people on the planet right now have an obligation for their greater evolution to stay in this programming mode and to maybe not push outside? Because if you read one of the, the books I think Stuart had written, it was about the forces that apparently there's this natural state where there are other realities where people are free, where spirit and energy flows freely. And this is a reality where we come to be purposely constricted. So do you think that it's, um, it's for the greater good of an evolution to stay constricted and to not push out? Everybody's here for something different. I'm not saying that the entire world necessarily needs to perceive these things. Um, but in the overall long-term evolution of it all, the spiritual journey is um, neutralizing the ego to where you wipe the ego out, to where you just reach your true and natural self. Okay, And then the other half of it is that you process the shadow because what the programming creates is it creates the outer ego um, of the conscious mind and, say, the inner shadow. That's just another part of the program. So you get this, this lump sum of negativity that builds up inside, which often goes unseen. But in order to truly transcend, you have to neutralize the ego, process the shadow, and expand consciousness into subtle vibrations. Okay. And Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And when you're talking about processing the shadow, can we just delve into that? Because 
um, you, you've done a lot. You do a lot of work where you're helping people to resolve their shadows. And people say, well, what is my shadow? What is it? Is it a conscious part of you that is a uh, collection of negative experiences that are kind of pulling you in an ego-based world? Is your shadow um, repressed memories? Is your shadow, um, you know, emotions that you're not willing to acknowledge? I mean, I know that everyone is different, but if you were to, I'm try, I hate to ask, but put it in a simplistic type manner, what would you say that the, the couple of qualities and characteristics of a person's shadow are? Like, what is okay. a shadow? Well, first of all, um, the shadow isn't necessarily evil. Um, a lot of people perceive it to be like an evil thing or a bad thing. It isn't necessarily. Um, as you go through life, you have to fit into society's behavioral patterns. And if you do something that doesn't fit into whatever little tribal area you're in, if you do something that goes against what they think is normal, it isn't necessarily good or bad, but inside of you, you tell yourself, no, I can't do that, right? So it builds up inside of you as this lump sum of negativity, which is basically everything that you've ever done that you were ridiculed for, or you were told was wrong, you know? It's like, it's like getting a cookie out of the cookie jar before dinner, right? <laughs> is there anything wrong with having a cookie? No, cookie good, you know? The little kid's mind goes, cookie good. But mom slaps your hand and says, you can't have a cookie before dinner. So it confuses the little kid. The little kid knows that the cookie tastes good. What's wrong with it? So it builds up inside as having, say, like a little glitch of what you have to do in order to fit into what's accepted in society. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Now, how does is, how is a person begin to flush out their shadow? And are the ego-based remnants of the shadow, are they predominantly in the conscious or subconscious mind? And can you cleanse your spirit as well as your subconscious simultaneously. How do people go about doing that? Like, what do you think would be if somebody says, listen, I'm ready to go after my shadow head on, what would be the first couple steps you'd recommend? Well, meditation is the main thing, but there's techniques. You go, you go into meditation and it's introspection. You look within, you see what pops up that you have inside of you as those negative inner negativity things as they come up. You just look at them and you reach an understanding of them. You kind of have to embrace your shadow. I don't mean embrace it to where you become your shadow and live through doing negative things. What I mean by embracing the shadow is that you look at it, you accept like why the little programming aspects were in there, why is there pain in there, why is there negativity in there. You look at it and through the understanding of it, you transcend it. You purify the shadow. You purify the negative inner aspects negative inner traits that affect you. Like the subconscious stuff does affect your life, but the more you can process that and clear it out, um, you reach more and more light. Do you think that that could actually have a substantial impact on a person's physical health as well as their weight? I mean, people who are um, of heavier set, do you think that, hypothetically speaking, that their weight could just be a, um, a sign of a lack of balance do you think it could be a sign of, of somebody who's putting up a force field around them to protect them? Or do you think that their weight could also be unprocessed energy, unprocessed uh, shadow work, if you want to call it that way? Yeah, most of it's unprocessed. That, that um, the inner negativity exists and affects your energy field and the flow of your vibrational rate. So any little block that you have, um, you may not even be aware of it, but there could be like inner negative things 
that are blocks, but they also create like um, an asymmetrical um, energy pattern or a disruptive energy pattern, which say blocks you. So you may be going, say you want to accomplish something in life that you need to do, but you have like this subconscious um, trait inside that tells you no, that you can't do it, right? It hinders you from developing. It's the same thing for your health. You know, the, the, the way health is affected more than anything is the quality of a person's energy. Okay. And then it manifests in the human body. You know, the physical world is the manifestation of vibrational forces. Got it. Now, um, in your experience, I've all, I've, one thing that people probably don't know if they're aware about this, but you've done a lot of uh, remote healing and you've healed people. And I want to share with the audience uh, the first time I actually met you, which was in 2009 in Las Vegas. And you were working in this big room, and you were you and your um, individuals you were working with, you were performing healings on people. You were pulling things out of people. I didn't know what to expect or what was going on, but I remember that uh, you were with some lady, and you were doing something with her, and she let out this growling noise. It was actually like the sound that a, a, every guy probably makes when they realize that they just got married. You know, this. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you know? And um, after it happened, I was sitting there, and I started seeing like these these shadowy figures, and I, I looked, and I and I wasn't like. Freaking out! I mean, they were they're crawling up and down the walls. I was like, "Wow, they got some real special effects going on." And apparently, that there was no special effects budget. Apparently, this was real, and um, it, it was just ridiculously amazing and fascinating. And I was wondering what had, what was happening when you were doing these healings, and um, do you have an idea what was coming out of some of these people? Do you actually see like darkness come out of these people? Are there are there dark beings that are occupying these people? Yeah, definitely. So it's. There was no special effects. Um, the energies that are affecting people, it's um, some of it is generated from their own inner darkness, and some of it is pushed upon them by, say, the system and other things in reality. You know, everybody's affecting each other. So, okay, so we are. It, it can appear as, the way I like to look at it is just fractal codes of energy, and I remove dark energies out of a person's energy field and bring their energy into a symmetry. Okay. But because the mind, as I said before, translates things into forms that it can handle and understand, um, everybody's angle of perception is slightly different. So you could see um, a variety of different types of entities flying out of people when you're, when you're doing that kind of work. Okay. And one thing I'll, what you're doing is that you're basically, can I accurately say that you work on spiritual DNA? Like people have like human DNA and you're kind of working on the spiritual DNA where you're replacing the, the fractal energy that surrounds a person's soul. And when you heal that, um, they operate at a, what, a higher vibrational frequency and they're able to, I guess, have a chance to take a breather being under the system of control that they've been under most of their lives. Yeah, I'm not really replacing anything. It's the person's own light that heals them. Okay. When you bring a person's energy into a faster vibrational speed and a symmetry, their own light develops and expands. And, you know, there's obviously the other energies involved or the energies of um, the beings and what I'm doing. But 
for the most part, it's the person's own energy that heals them because it speeds up into a healthier state. And if you remove the blocks and binds and such, which are embedded on everybody just by living and walking around in the world, there's forces that are constantly bombarding people. So when you clear those, it's like allowing them to breathe again. That's right. And hypothetically speaking, how often would you recommend a person get a healing done? Um, Actually, I don't recommend it that often at all because um, one of the things I don't like about healing is when somebody just wants the healing and they don't necessarily want to make any changes in their life. It's kind of like metaphysical liposuction. Yeah, or, you know, I I always say it's kind of like um, I don't change oil in cars. You know, it's like you just want to take your car in and have the oil changed and so that it keeps running. But if you don't necessarily change anything in your life, um, you know, you can fall back into patterns that just regenerate what you were trying to fix in the first place. So you have to make a conscious effort to make changes in life as well. So you can't just say, get hit with a magical stick and have everything be done and healed and over. You got to stick to the plan and make changes. Stick to it. Now, when you're doing the healings, you do ones that you're physically present with the people and then ones that are remotely. Can you please explain the difference between the two? And when you're doing these healings, are you acting as a mirror for uh, celestial energy, kind of like facilitating celestial energy upon the person? Because you have this added perception, this increased perception. You can actually see in a person's etheric and see where they need the healing from. So are you kind of like a, you know, like a mirror for that? I don't know if a mirror is the right word, but um, it's two different types of um, healing techniques. When you're there in person, um, obviously it's a little bit more hands-on, and um, it also has to do with like um, seeing the person's physical features and their reactions as you do things to neutralize their ego and um, change their energy patterns and clear the blocks and blinds. Um, remote healing is a totally different process. It's linked to the ancient Etruscan ways of where um, you rotate into the inner worlds and you actually locate the person and you work on them from within. So and in that process, everybody experiences it slightly different. From the healer's point of view, it's usually encountering a lot of darkness. From the person's point of view, they usually have like um, celestial visions or feel their energy speed up. Okay, so you said you find them in the um, the alternative. I mean, you're talking about the Aluna, which is... The- yeah, you can call it the Aluna if you want. That's just a word for the spirit worlds, really. It's the... It's the underlying nature of reality is that everything's energy fields. So it's traveling in those energy fields. And consciousness could be anywhere at any given second. It's not limited to the same constraints as like 3D laws of physics are. Okay, so um, you have, I'm just curious, you have the Aluna, which is where people are, they have their physical body here, their conscious physical bodies in this reality that we're talking about right now, and then they're in this place called the Aluna where they're also residing, a mirror self. Now, are they having mirror selves across all different life incarnations, across all dimensions, all at the same time. Like, Do you have multiple mirror selves in the Aluna simultaneously with all of your physical existences at the same time? Correct, but they're not all physical. Um, because the, the, a person has... Um, okay, when people talk about past lives and such, they usually think that it's a past life that was in this dimension, so it's another physical form of them. And some of that is true. 
but a person also has past lives, present lives, future lives, and other dimensional realities that aren't necessarily solid physical realities. Okay, so people already are probably experiencing, their, you say that they're already experiencing their future life at this point in time, that they could potentially do a future life regression potentially and see where they actually are maybe 100 and maybe 300 years from now? It's quite possible. Um, the, kind of the way it works is that most of the guides that people experience are actually um, their own higher self coming back in time to assist them along the way in this life. That's amazing. That's really amazing. So, hypothetically speaking, you could have this influence that's kind of nudging you in the right direction, and it could actually be your conscious from the future time who already foresaw the future the way it is right now? Correct. That's amazing. And who are your guides? And do you mind if I say, and what have they been, how have they influenced your life? Um, what do you have, um, guys? <laughs> you're kind of consulting that. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen a number of, I've had a number of different, um, guides and beings, but I kind of know that um, um, it's my own higher self, so I don't really consider them my guides. I just consider it to be me, but I've worked with a lot of other um, beings and such, which I knew also who they were, um, and it's usually your friends in, in the physical plane. Um, so you have, say, like the main beings, like your higher self, that can look like it's outside of you, but as you align to your higher self, you realize, and when I'm in those worlds, I don't necessarily see my higher self. I'm just in those worlds as if I'm looking out my own eyes. Okay. Um, but the other beings and guides can be your friends. It's like having friends in, in the physical plane. You know, they're people that you know. And as you learn to be able to see the higher self of others and their energy, um, it's like you recognize them just the same way as you recognize them in the physical plane. So if I'm in there and there's a being that comes along, it may not look human, but there's something about it that I recognize and just know who it is. Wow. And, and then there's a number there's a number of other beings that people may experience that they only experience them for a brief um, time, that they aren't necessarily permanent guides, but they come along for whatever reason. And they, it's usually because they need something, like they need help or something. Okay, so um, maybe you bump into a person that maybe needs part of your energy, and um, is that we that we were talking about. Well, like, kind of. It's like um, most of the beings are wanting. Most of the beings I encounter actually want help. They don't necessarily want to show me anything or or guide me anywhere. They just kind of want assistance or they want a healing or whatever the case may be. Um, I'll give you an example. A number of psychics have asked me why their spirit guides never really give them any information about their own evolutionary journey. And it's like a guide can come in that, say, needs the psychic's help in 3D to find a kid that's lost or something like that. So the being will be there and can help guide them to find the kid, but after they've, the kid is found and everything, the, the beings don't necessarily have any more information for the person. So the guides will come and go based off of whatever needs to be done. Wow. I think it's probably interesting that they're, that they're coming to you and they're asking you for things. You could, you know, you tell them, like, listen, I'm in a physical body. I've got a mortgage. I've got kids. I've got to deal with stress. You, you are in a timeless reality you got none of this stuff going on. Why don't you, you know, do your stuff? Do you ever like respond that way? Um, well, <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, I figured 
I mean, come on, you're you're an attorney, and they're not dealing with the the human day to day stuff. Well, it's it, it's not really. Um, you have to look at it from the point of view that just because something is a spiritual being rather than a physical being, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have any more wisdom or knowledge than you do. Oh. All right, and um, as you got older and you you grew, um, you know, both this person spiritually. What were some of the most influential teachers that you'd had when you were young, and how did they um, impact your evolution and your perception and made you come to the conclusion that you did at this point? Well, definitely the Eastern philosophies. I mean, I studied just about everything I could get my hands on. Um, a lot of it is stuff I wouldn't recommend people read, but there was I just studied just about everything I possibly could. But... I would say the main thing would be Lao Tzu, um, the Tao Te Ching, um, definitely so, and then Stuart. But I, I kind of ditched reading books and studying stuff a long, long time ago because you kind of have to throw all the books out the door. And when you start having those inner world experiences, it just is so far beyond what the books have to say. And in order to really figure it out, you have to go through the processes and techniques of having those experiences directly for yourself. So most of the stuff, say, that Stuart and I worked on, I studied with him for like over 20 years. And then we worked together for a number of years. And most of what we came across was um, direct experiences of being in those other dimensions and then writing about it for people and explaining it to them. Okay. So you kind of have to... You have to look at it from the point of view. I can't even remember everything I studied because it was like over <laughs> over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, whatever. So when you're saying about going to these different dimensions and traveling, because I definitely wanted to focus on that now, are you doing this when you're going into a deep theta state and then what happens that when you get to that perception, do you, you kind of flow into different worlds? Like, How do you transport or go to various dimensions? And what kind of dimensions are out there that you've um, you've mapped. I mean, you were, I know you were working on various things. What what dimensions do we that you're aware of that are out there, and how do we get to them? Well, that comes down to their techniques where you, you do have to go into trance state, and it's, after you work with theta, like I worked with theta for years and years, but eventually you you go even deeper and you work with delta levels, and, and delta is only like two hertz away from dead. You know, the it's like two blips a second your brain waves are moving, so it's like. It's two beats away from being dead. So it's basically putting yourself in a self-induced near-death experience, <laughs> if that makes sense. All right, so you're in that. Now, how would how do you know what kind of world you're going to? Can you, when you're in these deep trance states, can you basically say to yourself, oh, listen, you know what, um, I'm going to go to a celestial place today. I want to go and see you know, some of the angels and you know, hang out. Um, do you, can you predetermine where you're going to be? You can to a degree. I mean, the um, I kind of mapped that out and explained some of the trajectories Stuart and I put together on which areas are what. And you do that by simply allowing your feelings to expand in those areas. Now, the problem is and the challenge is that a person is in certain etheric locations already. All right. So they have to it's it's a process like they have they wake up to wherever they're at and it's not always a pretty place and the other challenge is there's also a, a matrix um 
which is like a holographic field that's intention is to stop people from seeing and reaching those worlds. So you also have to work on an inner level to escape that holographic field. Okay. We say, and what would be the purpose? I mean, wouldn't the matrix want people to, to go to a hellacious world so they would be afraid so they'd never want to come back so they'd never want to go into it again? The matrix wants to control you and keep you in those worlds. It wants to control and keep you in a in a hell in a hell type world. And what is that a hell world? Because people talk about. I mean, if you look about some of the religions out there, they say, well, you know, after you know, if you commit what's something called sin, you will go and you will spend an eternity in these uh, worlds that are hellacious. Which, um, what are, what is a hell world from what you've known about it? And how many levels of hell have you personally experienced? There are endless levels of hell, but it's not. It really doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're a sinner or whether or not you're being judged, there's no judgment of it. Um, if a person aligns to being malicious, they create their own darkness and they basically align themselves to those type of experiences in those worlds. It comes down to vibrational resonance and the quality of your geometrical fractal codes, which is the energy signatures of who and what you are. If you want to experience celestial worlds, you have to have a celestial resonance. Um, it's like tuning in to a station, okay? There's no judgment to it. There's nobody, nobody's judging you and not allowing you to go to the heavens, and nobody's forcing you to go to the hells. It simply comes down to what frequency are you tuned into. If you're tuned into light and love, you will experience light and love worlds. If you are tuned into being malicious and cruel and harm, then you will experience those type of um, worlds. All right. Can you, when you've uh, traveled there, and, you know, if somebody who's got to you know, get a lot of light to you, how couldn't you actually disrupt the entire uh, system by being somebody who's at a higher vibrational frequency and coming down to experience that by your presence alone? Couldn't that actually kind of tilt the entire hell world experience? Um, I'm not sure what you mean. But, um, well, just basically saying, yeah, higher vibrational frequency. A person who's at a higher vibrational frequency travels to a hellacious dimension and they're there. And the hellacious beings see that, and seeing that uh, person who's there who has more love than they have, they aspire to that. And aspiring to that, could they potentially raise their vibrational frequency? And and then raising their vibrational frequency, the hellacious world that you just described, would it be a step above where it was had you not even been there? I suppose. I don't think it necessarily changes those worlds. I think they'll still exist there. But usually when I go into those kind of places, it's kind of like a rescue mission to help somebody get out. Chris, thank you. Thank you so much. It was a truly an honor uh, to have you on the program today. And on behalf of myself, on behalf of all the listeners out there, we wish you infinite peace and love in all that you are and all that you do. And uh, we thank you so much for being a part of the program today. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, is globally respected psychic medium, Ms. Carrie O'Connor. Learn more about Carrie by going to her website at com. Carrie, what did you learn about Mr. Krepsik? I learned Mr. Kleptic. I happen to know Chris, and I really respect him. I love his, his work. It's wonderful. When I look at his energy field, he is a – he's when I see keys coming out of somebody's heart, somebody's heart imagine keys or codes that go out of a person's heart, and they allow another person to do profound healing. So he's, he's a healer, literally a healer. And he also those keys help unlock people from holding patterns. And it also goes out to the earth, and it also goes out to the whole earth grid. So it's – he does multidimensional healing. He's he's very um, 
old, old soul who's been here um, many, many times and also has a lot of access to the other dimensions, and he weaves it all together. So you could call him an interdimensional traveler that is able to weave the star information of the very high frequencies down to the earth planes. Wow, and I also saw the Essenes around him, and I know he's had a lifetime of the Essenes. Where I watched those um, patterns since I was a little girl, and they used to show me how they just would go into different, let's say, in a, a, a country that was all drought, and they would just come in there, and it was very silent. Nobody, there was no big show. They didn't even talk to anybody, and shift the energy into a place that had a drought. All of a sudden, would grow flowers and have or have rain or um, crops, and so he definitely had many of lifetimes of during times of major change, coming to the service to be a, a changer. He's a key changer. Wow. wow. And, uh, what, do you, what about his relationship with Stuart Wilde, uh, the great metaphysical, metaphysical visionary? Do you, do you uh, ever see him and uh, Stuart as part of like uh, similar energy patterns? Like Were they destined to come into this, into this reality together and work together? Definitely. There's the, Stuart and Chris hold held the complementary energies and there's, there's the, I call it the new trinity coming back to place. The trinity that's been in place has been very male. Think of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what Chris and Stuart did, through even the male bodies, invited both of them were very male, balanced men. They were very much connected to their feminine side. And so they were helping men in physical bodies get connected to their feminine side and really align to that. And they're also helping females get connected to their male side. So they're balancers. And they both did it in their own unique way. And it's like a, a yin-yang sacred dance that they held with each other. And in that dance, they invited people to really step into the balance and, and really get in touch with what I call the birth of the divine feminine. This is what this whole energy is about, this incarnation. And it's not a male or female thing. This is us getting in touch with the left side of our body, whether we're in male bodies or feminine bodies. So there well, is that, you mentioned two. What about who's the third? Who's the third part of the Trinity? Is there a, is the feminine spirit, the feminine um, spirit. So wow. I see it as this blue lady that has been around, and so there's a blue lady aspect in all of us. So when we get connected to that feminine spirit, or when they were doing teachings, they would have different um, feminine energies anchoring it in, the uh, grounding the energies in. Carrie O'Connor, that was an incredible insight, incredible analysis. Thank you. Thank you so much. Learn more about Carrie by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you, Carrie. You're welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Right, right. Here to provide some insight on where Mr. Krepsik stands amongst the stars is none other than astrologer Miss Constance Stellis. Learn more about Constance by going to her website at constancestellis.com. Constance, what did you learn about Chris? Well... Um, it's interesting to have done these two interviews back-to-back, uh, George and then Chris. Uh, both people have the moon placed in Scorpio. And uh, Chris is an Aquarius, uh, George is a Leo. But focusing on Chris, Scorpio, in my opinion, is the strongest sign of the zodiac. And I'm sure all Scorpios will be nodding their heads if they're listening to this. But I don't mean muscles. I mean the quality and quantity of transformative energy that a Scorpio has at his or her disposal. And you don't have a choice with Scorpio. You're either going to go through the muck and up and out, or you're going to stay in the muck. And it doesn't mean that every, you know, Scorpio is in the muck, but the the power of this energy has to be dealt with. You can't just say, oh, okay, later. Um, So, Uh, In Chris's chart, we have the Moon and Mars in Scorpio, and 
Neptune, which I spoke about a little bit earlier in George's chart, Neptune is not uh, right near the moon, but it's close. So that is a sensitizing connection that urges the um, purification, so to speak, of these of these energies. Um, Chris is also a, an Aquarius, and he's just in the beginning of Aquarius. So he's left Capricorn in the beginning of Aquarius. And you're an Aquarius, too, yep, yep. <laughs> if I remember. Aquarius is the sign of the individual and going on your own path. A lot of Aquarians start out kind of regular people, so to speak, and then they get more and more individualized as they uh, grow in their in their life. And um, Chris is uh, quite um, an introvert. Um, I know he's a teacher. Um, I think that he very much feels more comfortable um, discovering things on his own and then relates it to people. But if he had his druthers, he might go up to the mountain and just kind of think um, and, um, and, and write, which I know he does. Um, he's a traveling person. Um, he is, uh, I know he, he's from Nebraska. I don't know if he's, he's still there. Um, I don't believe, I don't know. He tra- I think he travels around. Yeah, I think he travels around. And he is coming up to a very positive expansion of his work. Um, so if he weren't doing the work he was doing, I would say in his career, but really his, his work is, uh, is spiritual in nature. Um, he, he also understands quite well the uh, demands of um, making a living and all the details of life. I mean, he manages those things um, in his, his own way. Now, we spoke before about the Grand Water Trine. Um, in Chris's chart, it is a Grand Earth Trine with a, a few uh, unique <laughs> event, uh, changes because he, he, he has only two planets in Earth. And this usually uh, gives a person psychic ability. When I say psychic ability, everybody has psychic ability. Some people have more, and some people develop it. And through his teaching and his work, I think that he uh, is definitely developing it. And when we look at the position of this lifetime for Chris, we see that he's finishing up a lot of things. This isn't a setting up new karma, new lessons lifetime. It's a finishing up lifetime. And part of this, I think, is, I mean, I, I don't know if he's doing very well financially, uh, it's, uh, but he should be or he will be, um, not, not because he's, you know, a hedge fund guy, but um, he, he, he is meant to be... Um, um, uh, profitable in in what he does do, and and that's good. So that's one of the things that he's he's learning about, um, and he's quite um, honest in terms of what it is he can offer teaching wise, and you know what he doesn't have any knowledge about. I read on the uh, the website he's an etheric healer. So this is, in my opinion, a way that he um, helps transform his own energy as well as other people's. Because Scorpio, as I said before, being the strongest um, sign of the zodiac, uh, has three symbols. Everything else, everyone else has one, like Aries the ram, Taurus the bull. The three symbols for Scorpio are the scorpion, who would rather sting himself to death than give up the power of the sting, the second is the eagle, which is the bird of spirit, 
but also hunts and takes his prey. And the third image is the phoenix that recreates himself from his own ashes. So whether Scorpios have an easy life or a difficult life, they know depths and they know that they are transforming those depths. Not a casual sign. So he has an enormous amount to offer and I think has, because he's not so old, right? Uh, he is uh, he, he, um, I, it doesn't 43. Yeah, he, he looks very young though. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, so I think that coming up in the next year, um, he will he will um, have a lot to say and a lot to offer for the people that he uh, is working with. Wow, that's incredible! Uh, thorough, thorough analysis, thorough insight, incredible. Learn more about Constance by going to her website at constancestellas.com. Constance, thank you so much. My pleasure. Here to provide additional insight on Chris Krepsik is Miss Laura Lynn. Laura Lynn is a world-respected psychic medium and half-life reader. Learn more about Laura by going to her website at angelreader.net. Okay, Laura, what did you garner about Chris? Well, when I was going into Chris's soul meaning, I felt strong conviction that he was a medicine man, a shaman, if you will. Aborigines bush medicine was his craft. And I also heard a lot of beats when I was uh, in this meditation, uh, beats that were drumming drumming uh, to bring healing. And it, it, when I was looking at it deeper, I could see that there was a circle of people. There was these beats happening, and you could see the energy or the, it looked like when an aura looks like the green energy of healing going over the individuals. Okay. And um, in terms of his uh, past life, did you see anything of, did you ever pick up anything on him um, doing any kind of predictions or working with anyone who did any kind of predictions? Well, I feel like that when he was a medicine man, that he was a prophet also, as most shamans are able to tap in and see energy through the future and through the past. So I would have to absolutely say yes. Okay. And so when, what era was this, was this time period you picked up on it? And uh, were there any other lives that kind of came out at you about Chris? You know, I don't know the era. I would say the 1700s maybe. I don't, you know, I can't, I can't really tell you what because of the, the clothes that they are wearing. I wouldn't even know how to, to, to guide that. But it felt like a few hundred years. But I did feel like he went back before that a, thousands of years ago when he was also a druid and I felt like he was a map maker with stone, stone circles where he learned through other worlds the process and energetic points of sacred geometry so it feels like he brought that sacred knowledge to the the bushmen if you will or the aborigines he brought a lot of energy through different dynamics uh, through different energies through the earth and brought plant medicine, stone medicine, and it feels like he's bringing that knowledge here today as a teacher. Okay. And what about uh, right now? What is his purpose right now? He is the teacher. Yeah, he's teaching. He, he brings his amazing memory, cell memory, to the forefront, and I believe he's channeling a lot from his own knowledge from his past map. 
How would you compare Chris in terms of um, what you picked up on him compared to other teachers that are out there today? Um, in terms of uh, energy reading, intensity, uh, intention, how would you say? Well, it's, it's hard to compare teachers because everybody's so different with how they bring their, their own inner truth. I, I would say that he his knowledge is very high, and his his intensity, I would have to say, comes from his own inner knowledge. And I, I know that he believes in everything he's teaching completely. This is his own inner truth that he's bringing out. Where I have seen teachers that are learned from other books and other uh, materials, that you know they're they're teaching other people's energy, but I feel like this is mostly his own, and I love I love that. Miss Laura Lynn, thank you so much for your great insight. I'm Mr. Chris Krepsik. Learn more about Laura Lynn by going to her website at angelreader.net. And if you want to have a past life reading with Laura or any readings with any of our virtues, please contact them accordingly on our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, Ryan. Here to provide some insight on Chris is Ms. Lisa Kaza. Lisa is a globally respected psychic medium, and you can learn more about her by going to her website at SoulPsychics.com. Lisa, what did you learn about Chris? Uh I hope that uh, you and all of our listeners are sitting down for what I have to say. Okay. Uh. Um, I'm actually shaking <laughs> Talk, talking to you. I don't know whether it's out of shock or uh, excitement or both. Maybe it's both. But I have really, there, there, I have only two things that I can say, but they're extremely significant. Okay. Okay. Now, the first one was, at first, I found it somewhat difficult to read Chris, and I couldn't understand why. And, and then I heard the words, I believe, I think it was from my own spirit guide, and she goes, he's not fully here. And I'm going, what do you mean he's not fully here? What the heck does that mean? Well, Chris has the amazing ability, he was only partially present with you during the interview. Another part of him was on another plane of existence for the show on purpose, but it, it wasn't out of malice or, or ignorance or anything like that. He was doing it on a subconscious level on purpose to ensure that he actually gave you and our listeners solid and concise answers and information. Wow. So that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. It, it was. I was, and I have to say, like I, you know, I am excited because ever since we did start uh, the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, I have been introduced to so many interesting, wonderful people, and being introduced to a lot of different and new concepts. Uh, like I've been a reader for over twenty years, but some of these things are just blowing my mind. Now, the next thing I have to say is um like I do realize that uh he worked with uh, Stuart Wilde for for over 20 years and I did feel his presence with him I I think that he actually had that questioning in his mind if I wonder if Stuart's there he was there with him as doing the interview now this is the the shocker part that I hope that you're sitting down for is I was shown um a number of different past lives. He was a Roman gladiator in one. Uh, he was a Native American healer in another, uh, which would be like before Columbus's time, before Columbus landed in, in the States. Um, 
the most prominent and most significant one is that I also see him as having worked with Nostradamus. Really? Now, as soon as I got that, my analytical mind kicked into gear. And now being a psychic, I guess, usually a no-no, but sometimes, especially in cases such as this, it's good to have the analytical mind. So I went and I did some research on Nostradamus. And uh, I learned that Nostradamus, pardon me, only had one student, according to his biography. One. So we actually know exactly who Chris Krupsik was in, in one of these past lives. And who is he? Um, I can't pronounce the name. I wrote it down. It's here. This is silly. I'm French, and I can't pronounce it. Oh, there's no name. worries. You know what? For our listeners, we're going to post exactly who the person was, but that, that's an amazing insight. And I'm curious, but the person who's Nostradamus, do you think there's a possibility that Nostradamus might have actually been Stuart Wilde? Bingo! You got it! Really? Yes! Exactly! I am wow. so thrilled you picked that up. Yes! Stuart Wilde was Nostradamus. Wow. And that's when my jaw hit the floor. And I go, okay, I'm going to have to do some further research on this one. I need to double-check, triple-check before I go on the air with this, because this is huge. And I did, in fact, see a lot of parallels in Stuart Wilde's and Chris's life as compared to Nostradamus and his student slash uh, uh, co-worker, j just like Chris, um, d different parallels. Like, for example, the most obvious is Nostradamus. He made so many um, uh, predictions and prophecies. Well, so too did Stuart Wilde. In fact, Stuart Wilde made so many predictions that quite ultimately... He didn't even post uh, the majority of what he did get on his website. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you said it because when I was talking to this, I'm trying to get off a little bit of the subject, but when Ken Stewart, I used to tell him that, you're like, you're so much better than Nostradamus. Nostradamus is, is a hack compared to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess I guess he learned from the past life then. <laughs> so, um, I know what you think about Chris's uh, insight that he said that um, the possibility of us having spirit guides could actually be ourselves from the future. I mean, you've talked about past lives. What about our future lives? You know what? I, I'm actually, I was hoping that you would actually ask me that question because um, I will agree, you know, when it comes to uh, spirit guides that, yeah, it is indeed quite possible to, to I guess, have our, our previous selves as well as future selves coming to us as guides. Um, I myself am living proof of that. Uh, I'll tell you, like, one of my guides that I actually I feel guilty I haven't worked with her in a long time is Lady Jane Grey. But I am also a reincarnation of Lady Jane Grey. So it was like, okay, well, if I'm a reincarnation of Lady Jane Grey, then how can it possibly be that she's also my spirit guide? Well, Chris answers that for us. So it's very possible, indeed. So the idea um, that we are being guided by ourselves in the future, that's amazing. Oh, yes, and the past, as well as the past. But I would also like to add that that's not the end of it either. I mean, we also have spirit guides that are our ancestors or spirit guides that we knew in past lives, um, spirit guides that we've 
ultimately never even laid eyes on before. So it's not just ourselves. It's 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 a mixture of all of the above. And the thing is, when it comes to guides representing ourselves, I see that about 99.9% of the time, more often with animal guides than human guides. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. <laughs> Lisa, thank you for an amazing uh, insight on Mr. Chris Krepsik. Thank you so much. And learn more about Lisa by going to her website at soulpsychics.com. It was my true pleasure, Ryan. I wanted to bring to your attention also that uh, you can learn more about our website at the show by going to website at outerlimitsradio.com. You'll learn and see more profiles about all the people who've been on the show, and you can watch all the full interviews. Wishing upon you infinite peace and love, the outer limits of inner truth. Have a great night. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy. Without all the extra drama. I even had a different...